Hello everyone and welcome back to the New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana and today we're here with Carla Garrick running for a state senate. Is it Ward 20 you said? Ward, uh, District, District 20. 20. Yep, so that's all of Goffstown and Wards 3, 4, 10, and 11 here in Manchester. Okay, pretty cool. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, let's learn a little bit about you. Sure, so um, I'm originally from South Africa, but okay. um, I'm now a U.S. citizen. I became a citizen in 2000. I grew up in a diplomatic household, so I kind of grew up all over the world. Um, lived in South Africa, of course, as well, which at the time was under a apartheid regime. So I kind of grew up with a bit of a police state around me. And that's certainly yeah. something that, you know, I feel strongly about and see a trend towards sort of it, it here in the States a little bit. You know, we see the militarization of the police and that kind of stuff. So um, that's definitely one of my issues. But um, I won a green card in the lottery uh, when I was in law school, <laughs> which uh, is, you know, very crazy. And your odds of doing that are pretty, pretty low. And yeah. it just seemed like such a cool opportunity that I decided decided, uh, yes, of course, I want to come here. I want to come to the land of, you know, the American dream. And uh, so I finished law school, got married to my then boyfriend, and we packed two suitcases and immigrated to, we ended up in, in Silicon Valley. Um, our first place we lived was in the Tenderloin, which if people know San Francisco is basically an inner city slum, but that's what we could afford. It was 375 bucks a month that should have told me that, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. And um, yeah, we found jobs. My husband's a techie. He worked in the tech sector there. I um, had to retake the bar exam. Once I got here, I had to petition first and then took the bar exam. I worked for Apple Computer. I worked for Logitech, the, my, the mouse company. Yeah. And then like everyone, I, I did the jump uh, into the bubble economy, so into the, you know, sort yeah. of internet economy, and it was fun while it lasted, yeah. and then it crashed super hard, and <laughs> um, my husband, who had a startup at the time, they'd closed $7 million in their first VC round, yeah. uh, they had a cool idea, but then they couldn't, you know, raise more funds, his company went under, I at the time was working for Scient Corporation, which was uh, building websites for like all the new e-businesses. And uh, I had the misfortune of laying off 2,000 people, including myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, it was fun while it lasted. But actually, that experience made me start to wonder, you know, how, how do these bubbles happen? Yeah. You know, kind of what happened? How did we go from, you know, desk massages to uh, we're both, you know, without jobs? And um, so I started studying economics a little more. And sort of um, that led me to sort of very uh, hard, not to free market economics and sort of the benefits of allowing people to prosper through their own human action, right? So work hard, get the rewards. Um, and part of that, we then took some time off. Yeah. We put everything in storage. We were like, we need a break. That was intense. Uh, so we decided to backpack through Southeast Asia, India, and uh, parts of Africa. We lived on a budget of $15 a day. Sometimes we didn't even spend that. Sometimes I'd be like, I need a martini. <laughs> and then we'd, you know, maybe go over the budget once in a while. <clears throat> But that was a, um, you know, life-changing experience. I always say that, you know, it, I think it's important for everyone to travel, to meet other cultures, other people. And it's it's interesting, you know, what, what actually unifies us all is that desire to sort of strive and improve our lot and, and uh make things better. Um, and, and I believe we do that through through markets and letting people pursue what they're passionate about. Um, so from there, we, we came back to the States, we went back to New York. And then um, I had decided actually at the base camp of Annapurna, which is the 10th highest mountain in the world. And I'm not sure if it was because I was oxygen deprived. But um, I was like, you know, I'm not sure I want to be a lawyer. So I decided to go back to school. I got a master's in fine arts and creative writing, uh, taught uh, while I was doing that. And then in 2008, in a blizzard, 
also not recommended, uh, we moved to to New Hampshire. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 2008. Yeah, I kind of remember that time frame. We had some good snow years. <laughs> yeah, I, it was. Uh, well, well, it was a blizzard in in February, and then yeah. I believe it was the the end. The winter is when we had that crazy ice storm. Yeah, I mean that's one of my favorite songs. Is the the uh, se- super secret project with their um, they have a song about the um, the ice storm, and I think one of the lines is like, "We were without power for ten straight days," and I was like. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. So let's get into politics a little bit. Oh, I, actually, how has growing up the way you did kind of changed your views on things? Because you have a pretty interesting background there. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, um, South Africa was, you know, it, it was the apartheid regime. It was yeah. run by nationalists. There was a concerted effort to sort of keep races separately, uh, a lot of control in terms of paper pleas if you were moving around. Um, there was, the police was quite militarized. Um, the military was very militarized. Um, now, I had the, the, I was fortunate in the sense that, you know, I also got to travel to other countries. So I think, you know, it made maybe didn't influence me um, as negatively as as a lot of people. But, um, you know, it it actually at the at the time, you know, I was I was a very small time anti-apartheid activist. Um, You know, I I worked on a a zine, I guess, at university. It was called the third I, I as in I, me, not I, although we liked the pun, and um, and I wrote and and acted in a band play. So you know, at that stage, and then it was really cool in in, in law school when Nelson Mandela had been released, and so I I sort of worked against that system because. I could clearly see that it was wrong, right? Yeah. It's 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 not right to to subjugate people, and um, so at the time I was like, well, this government's bad, but this one's going to be good. Now, anyone who follows anything about South Africa will now realize, okay, now the country has a, a different set of problems, and I'm going back in December because I haven't been. Um, to South Africa in probably 15 years. And I still have some family back there. My father-in-law is not well. And we're, you know, we're going for December, which will be awesome because it'll be summer there. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, the realization for me was sort of like, well, maybe, maybe the problem here is, is government and the role of government in our lives. And that sort of led me to, to my position, which is pretty much that, you know, I stand for limited constitutional government. I think the government now is way too big. I think they have way too many fingers and way too many pies. And um, one of the beauties about New Hampshire, though, is as compared to other states, I think, in America, we still have some things that are super important in terms of keeping the relationship between us and government in a more balanced form. And that is because we don't have a sales tax and because we don't have an income tax. Because once they get their grubby little paws on that, you know, then it just becomes an issue of you will continually be taxed more. And here's a good example, you know, in Connecticut, um, the, the, they tricked basically people on fixed incomes, right? Because that's a real concern. If you only have X amount of money to spend, yeah. you know, then if someone's knocking on the door saying, hey, 1% here, 2% here, it can really influence, you know, how you can live your life. So in Connecticut, they, they said, hey, let's introduce an income tax so we can lower your property taxes. And people fell for it. They not only did not lower the property taxes, if you look over time, the income tax uh, has been raised to 7% um, in less than a decade. So the tax hikes means they're paying more in property taxes and you're paying more in income taxes. And then the other thing they did is they introduced a, a millionaire's tax. So, you know, we hear this a lot. Hey, let's tax the rich more. You know what the rich do? They have the resources to go, you know what? No, I don't want to be taxed more. I'm going to move my business 
I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to go to a lower taxed state. And that's exactly what happened. So Connecticut, you know, introduced these taxes and they actually destroyed what was a pretty good economy. So one of the reasons I'm running is I don't want to see that happen here in New Hampshire. It's really it's it's a way for us as citizens to to keep our government in check by saying, you don't actually have the right to the fruit of my labor. You can't yeah. get my income. <laughs> yeah. Which I like. I, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, all right. So let's talk, aim towards New Hampshire a little bit. Um, you said there's some good things about the state. There's some bad things about the state. So let's go over your what you're shooting for, which is Senate. Yep. Um, and what can we accomplish from that level? Well, you know, the Senate is the other house, half of the house. Mm-hmm. So in New Hampshire, which actually has one of, I think it's the third largest body, legislative body in the English speaking world. I mean, it's pretty huge, which is awesome. So we have 400 state reps and then we have 24 senators. So they're supposed to act as sort of checks and balances on each other. I mean, I guess in the short version, like the Senate's a little fancier, but you can also look at it as the Senate um, should be the gatekeeper. And because lobbyists generally have a hard time lobbying the house because there's so many representatives and you know each representative represents about three thousand people right which is also cool because that kind of means you you can know your rep you can call them you can see them at the grocery store you know so that that sort of relationship between you and the person who's supposed to represent you is quite close um, my understanding is that in the Senate, that is where the lobbyists like to focus a lot of their attention because there are less people to try and influence. Yeah. So, you know, some bills originate in the House, some bills originate in the Senate, and then each chamber looks at a bill and then they kind of swap them at the end of the the legislative session and then they vote on each other's bills. So my opponent who I'm running against, Lou D'Alessandro, he used to be a Republican and then he switched at one stage to a Democrat. uh, He's been in office for 20 years. Um, He's 80 years old. And um, I just think it's time for a fresh approach, a fresh voice, and someone who can really stand up to that sort of level of lobbying. I mean, I think one of the unfortunate things about the longer you're in something, the more it's sort of easy to be corrupted in some ways because it's just it becomes business as usual so I think one of the values I'll bring is just a fresh pair of eyes and someone who is actually willing to say what should we be doing it like that that doesn't sound good is that fair you know those kinds of things so so that's the relationship with the house and the senate and then obviously we have the governor and you know he can veto stuff um so that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's go over some of your positions. <laughs> so, because I know, I think you're on the Re- Republican and Libertarian ballot. <laughs> yeah, so that's super weird. And I really hope it doesn't hurt me in the election because, you know, I'm going to appear on on the Libertarian side as well as the Republican side. I filed, I'm the nominee for the Republican Party. Um, you know, I, I take what I do seriously. So I actually went and read the entire platform and I was like, wow, this platform is actually really good. I mean, the the Republican platform talks about, you know, free people, free Biz, uh, free markets, free enterprise. You know, it talks about looking at things through free market solutions. And um, so I was sort of excited because I was like, yeah, I can legit do this. And then um, the Libertarian Party got uh, ballot access the, uh, in the 2016 election. And, you know, they work very hard. You have to get 4% of the vote. And, and they did that. And so there was a uh, supporters 
did a write-in campaign and they wrote me in, which was awesome, right? Because I'm kind of hoping, okay, that means I'm going to pick up votes from people who won't vote Republican or Democrat anymore because they're just sort of done with that paradigm. And um, so I'm hoping I'll pick up votes. What I'm really hoping is that I don't lose votes uh, from Republicans who kind of go, what's going on here? Now, I've always disclosed I'm a libertarian-leaning Republican, you know, and, and for me, that just means I'm, I'm both fiscally responsible and socially quite tolerant. You yeah. know, like, I don't think really the government needs to be in our private business yeah. at all. And so, yeah, so I'll be on the ballot for both of those, you know, and, and if people listen to this and they like what they hear and maybe they're Democrats and they just are also looking for a change, then, you know, vote for me on the Libertarian ticket. Why not? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And then the other drama there was um, the secretary of state uh, did not count the ballots correctly. So that. Yeah. yeah, So that was kind of weird. I live in Ward 11, which is West Manchester. And so that's where I was um, at the end of the primary day. And they clearly announced the moderator announced there were 30 write ins in that ward. And I actually felt disappointed because I knew, oh, you need 35. And I I didn't think other people in other areas would really do it. But they did. And so when the numbers came out, the official numbers from the Secretary of State, they said, oh, you didn't get any, you got one write in in Ward 11. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. People were sending me belly, you know, ballot selfies and saying, hey, look, I wrote you in, you know, I think you'd be great. Please, uh, you know, go. know you're either lying or incompetent. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, so I filed for an official recount. So I'm not sure if I'm making New Hampshire history here, but I'm like, I filed for a recount before I've been elected to anything for a party I wasn't even running under. (laughs) And anyway, long story short, I prevailed on the recount. Um, uh, You know, I I do think it was um, an honest mistake. I Mm -hmm. think they just tallied it wrong. But regardless of what the motivation was, I think what we should focus on here is the fact that it was done wrong. Yeah. Election integrity is important. It's an issue that, you know, everyone is kind of talking about and and concerned about. And so it just frankly didn't look very good. Yeah. Like, I think the same day, they wouldn't even let me vote. What? I I think a few people had this issue where something had happened and if you were Republican or Democrat, you were supposed to be allowed to vote on the Libertarian ballot. They wouldn't let me. They said you can vote Republican or you just can't vote at all. Wow, and where was that? I was in Gosstown. So, uh, huh. yep. So, I, I at the time, Aaron Day was running, so I let him know, and he had said that had to come up a few times. And yeah, they would not let me vote. I could go Republican and vote on their ballot, or I had to, again, wait till the next day after the election, change to Libertarian so that next time I could vote on theirs. So, and so yeah, that was, I know, like, the the system. I think they they try, but there's a lot of misinformation and it's not run very well. (laughs) No, and also, you know, I mean, we have to look at it through the lens of vested interests, right? So, like, whenever I'm doing something or thinking about something, I'm like, follow the money. And Mm -hmm. there's there's a advantage to the duopoly. Did I say that right? So the two-party system, yeah. right? You know, it benefits both of them because then one of the things they can do is they they can build this hysteria where they're pitting yeah. two sides against each other, whereas really what we should be looking at is the relationship between all of us voters and the government, right? Yeah. Like, that's the important relationship. It's not, oh, suddenly I'm not going to like my neighbor anymore because they support a Democrat and I'm, you know, a libertarian or I'm a Republican. Um, and so it's very on purpose. And so that's why it's hard. I mean, I it makes me sad that libertarians aren't included in debates and in discussions <laughs> yeah. because 
I believe the more people hear these ideas, the more they're kind of like, yeah, actually out of all three of these options, that makes the most sense, right? Yeah. Because we our default setting is surely towards liberty. Our default setting is towards being free people who can live our lives as we want to, as long as we're peaceful and we're not taking other people's stuff. I mean, it's not rocket science. We learn it when we're three, you know, in the sandbox. And, and I, you know, I, I, I hope the time has come. I mean, I think that technology has certainly helped all of us in terms of spreading the message, but then you also see the clampdowns that are happening. You know, voices are being taken off all the big social media platforms and whether you agree with them or not, I don't often, but I'm like, if we believe in freedom, everyone should be able to exercise their first amendment rights, you know? And the only way you take down bad ideas is with good ideas. So you have to have the discussion and that's not happening. Yeah. Pretty much, (laughs) pretty much across the board. Yeah. Either. I, I, again, I was about to say I don't want to get political, but this is political. So, <laughs> there's a pretty strong movement across the country of that anti-First Amendment kind of thing, but only if it deals with, you know, one particular party, essentially. We know what we're talking about here. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just like, it's so sad to see that, you know, because, oh, as long as it's, you know, the really, really conservative people, they don't get a First Amendment right. Right. You know? You know, and and it's it's certainly troubling. I mean, it was funny, actually. I mean, funny, like, ha-ha, or funny, depressing, possibly. But I was cleaning out my office the other day, and I found a note that I'd written probably a couple of years ago, and it, and it said, all that's left is the First and the Second Amendment. And it was about two years old, and I was like, wow, I would not have predicted that within two years it would be like... They're not even really left anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the battle lines that we're seeing now, it's it's like the fight is on. Like yeah. slowly, you know, all the other amendments just kind of got, you know, crushed or fell by the wayside. And yeah, no one's really worried about quartering, you know, soldiers, fair enough. But, you know, the 10th Amendment, which is about states' rights and the relationship between us as a state and the federal government, that one's pretty important. (laughs) And, you know, no one wants to talk about that anymore. And so as you go down the line, it's basically we have the First Amendment and the Second Amendment left. And the Second Amendment, in my opinion, is there to protect the First Amendment. And we are seeing, you know, and it's coming from the education system and it's coming from colleges and universities, right, where they started in the past decade, safe zones, uh, free speech zones, all these things that are absolutely against your right to free speech. And what kind of society do we live in when you're not allowed to express your opinion? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty sad. It's Orwellian. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. And so that's part of the reason I'm running. You know, I, I did run in 2016, also against Uncle Lou. He, um, I got 40% of the vote. I was an entirely unknown. I actually feel really good about that. Yeah. I've been hard at, hard at work for months now. And, um, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic, but obviously I need people to vote for me. I need yeah. people to go go look at my website. It's Carla with the number four nhsenate.com. Um, you know, check out my posts. If you like Instagram, you will see a lot of food photos. <laughs> I like to cook. You know, yeah. I'm a normal person, but yeah. you know, I I think I could do a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so too. Yeah, that's why I have your science in my own lawn. So <laughs> slightly biased, but I yeah, appreciate exactly, it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, a little biased. <laughs> well, um, the, well, the thing is, just you know, we're you're, you're a businessman, and it's like I mean, we all are feeling the squeeze, and and not only feeling the squeeze, but I feel like life's out of balance. You know, like we things shouldn't be this this contentious and part of it is we're, we're being manipulated (laughs) to, to build this sort of 
you know, left-right paradigm. And it's kind of like, what about the rest of us who just want to live our lives? Yeah. You know, so we'll see. But, you know, I, 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 hope, I hope people will support me. Yeah, I think they will. And, oh, so this is actually a question I had because I'm not super familiar with the system and at least at least how it technically works down the road. So if you're on the Libertarian ballot and the Republican ballot, um, do those both tally together and give you a final score? Or is it kind of like what they would probably end up doing? It's like, oh, he won, you know, because 40% right. you got 20% and 40% and technically right. you got more but yep so my understanding this is what the secretary of state himself said is that they are tallied together okay. so it's this unusual thing in New Hampshire it's called a fused candidate and so my understanding is you know when i went <laughs> I'm going to manifest my own <laughs> destiny here. Um, then, you know, I actually appear as the senator for the Republican and the Libertarian Party. Yeah. So it's sort of this fused thing. But my understanding, and, and actually I've had a few people tell me they're counted together. So, um, so hopefully, you know, everything works out the way yeah. it's supposed to, you know, my, yeah, my <laughs> yeah, you know, or, or some kind of shenanigans or incompetence or, or whatever it might be. Um, it, um, you know, once again, you know, I'm building from that 40% base and yeah. I've been out there and I've met a lot more people. I'm door knocking. I volunteers out door knocking. We have the signs out. I've been doing meet and greets. I've been doing these kinds of podcasts. And I mean, it's a tough hill to climb. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of it is just name recognition. Sometimes people don't generally even care what you stand for, which I find shocking. But, yeah. you know, it's um, it's just getting my name out there and and hopefully that people will say, you know what? Yeah, it is time for a change. Yeah. Very cool. So let's do the, the actual fun part and get into policies a little bit. Here. OK. Um, so some of the big things that always come up is since we've already come up with the First and Second Amendment. So we can jump on that one. Real quick. <laughs> yes, I'm for free speech and I'm for gun rights. <laughs> okay, perfect. Easy enough. Um, so what are some other big ones? Okay, well, so medical marijuana is a big one. Yep. And so I was just going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that that, uh, you know, I'm probably not completely on the party platform for the Republican, but solidly libertarian is I think we, I think the drug war is an abject failure. Yeah. I think it's destroyed millions of lives. It has created a, a welfare culture where, you know, you put people in jail for weed and then they come out and they can't get a job. They can't, you know, I mean, it's just been a really horrible, destructive force. So I am, um, you know, I'm actually for, for, I mean, I'm for decriminalization of marijuana, meaning just that it shouldn't even, like, it's just a non-issue. You can do what you want. I would support a tax and legislate if it contained a homegrown provision, meaning that people can either, you know, go buy it on the market or they can um, grow their own at home. Um, with regard to medical marijuana, I say this partly tongue in cheek, but it, I'm, I might do it just for the fun of it. Um, you know, we've had expansions in terms of the qualifying conditions over the years. They started with a very narrow uh, 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 diseases that you could actually get medical for that did get expanded in the last session to include PTSD, which is really important for our veterans and, you know, people like that. And then um, I think there was... Uh, um, uh, maybe chronic pain, I believe, was the other one. So, you know, maybe we extend mar medical marijuana to include one more qualifying condition and we make it free will. Because either way, I think that, you know, I, I would like to see the debates of, no, you're not allowed to have free will to there make decisions as an adult for yourself, as long as you're peaceful about what you're doing, um, you know, and maybe that would be like a good catch-all. I think a lot of the states, uh, Denver did it pretty well, Colorado, California, um, I, you know, I, I went out there. Uh, Vegas, um, I visited some stores there, you will be shocked at the the economic grab, right? We're talking, I think, in, in, in Las Vegas, 
No, it was in California. It's almost 30% taxed. Yeah. So when people talk about the tax and regulate, what I hesitate about there is I feel like it's a money grab. You know, they're like, oh, we we got it wrong. We're not willing to admit that. We hurt a lot of people, but now we'll, we'll you know, we'll let you do it as long as you, like, pay us enough, yeah. you know? So... Uh, you know, I think arguments could be made. Uh, New Hampshire doesn't have a broad-based sales tax. New Hampshire is currently the only state that doesn't have some form of recreational that's already in the pipeline. So um, we're going to be an outlier. And it's sort of the economic reverse of how everything works in New England, yeah. right? You know, everyone comes to New Hampshire for their state own booze. <laughs> yeah. And um and I mean I would rather see some kind of model if we do go tax and legislate where um we really think about that competitive advantage that New Hampshire has in terms of our our taxes with regard to other states. So if other New England states do go the sort of money grab high tax route, I think we should very competitively set ourselves apart as we've done with, with some other else. tax policy. Yeah. yeah. The other ones that drive everyone else crazy. Right. Which it, I, I love because I think I was reading the newspaper article where people from New York were freaking out because they would literally drive all the way to New Hampshire to buy alcohol right. to, to bring back to their state. And they were like, oh, they're getting like the police and say troopers involved. And I'm like, maybe look at your own policies. Right. You know? If that is more profitable for the business, look at yourselves. Right. You know, so it is, but they can't do that. No. And, and <laughs> I, I heard a story where, I mean, Massachusetts was doing that at one stage. They sent state troopers in to write down the license plates of yeah. mass uh, consumers buying alcohol in New Hampshire, and then they were like ticketing them because yeah. they weren't paying taxes on it. And I believe the governor at the time um, was like, uh, "No, if you come and do this again, we're gonna arrest you. Yeah. I'm gonna have like my my guys arrest your guys. This yeah. is not how we're gonna roll." And I love that story. Um, another thing I think where I could add value in the Senate is there was that terrible Wayfarer decision, Supreme Court decision that basically has said that every small business now has to become a tax collector for yeah. other states and other, you know, and. There are more than, I believe, 200,000. I don't think I'm exaggerating, but I could be. I tend to. But um, <laughs> but um, different taxing entities, right? So you're talking about, you know, let's say you have a, a candy store or you sell fudge online or whatever. And now they're saying, well, if you ship it here or you ship it there or if your business is X big, then you have to, like, collect all the taxes for, for you know, all these other areas, which, of course, for any small business owner is is ridiculous and, yeah. and unnecessary. And quite frankly, you know, we're not supposed to be vassals of, of the government to do their work for them for yeah. free, right? And so I know Governor Sununu had, had made suggestions. They went to a special session. It was, I think, the wrong approach. And so I think if I'm in the Senate, we can figure out what the right approach is. I mean, I think the right approach is just to... Tell them off. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, you know, yeah. because um, I think one of the challenges with the Sununu proposal was that it it sort of it almost like acknowledged, oh, OK, you're allowed to do this. So we're going to put all these barriers up in order for you to, to make it harder. And I think the better approach is just to be like, no. Yeah, you know, no, that. we're not going to actually even acknowledge it. And we need to pass a really solid bill that just set, you know, is based on states rights and is based on the the position that hell no. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be funnier. <laughs> um, so let's see, let's see some other big ones. Um, healthcare. Because I know Aaron had his own particular issues with our healthcare system. And where do you fall on some of that stuff? So I think, I mean, these these are tough, right? Because yeah. uh, depending on how it's framed, you know, sometimes people are like, so you just want people to be sick and, you know, we got to help people. And I do believe we have to help people. I do believe, though, that we should be doing it voluntarily. Yeah. So, you know, I 
tithe money to the causes I believe in. I volunteer for stuff because all of those things also build community. I would not vote for Medicaid expansion. Um, I know that the last bill actually did have a work requirement, so I think that was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, I don't know if this is true, but I heard it, and I, I should actually confirm it because I've repeated it a few times, but more than 80% of Medicaid recipients smoke. And I'm like, look, if you're not willing to actually, through your own human action, take accountability for you as a human being and for your own health and for your own, like, being literally then like why should I subsidize your bad behavior you know like my my whole shtick has become like the good life right and it yeah. starts with us it starts within us I I quit drinking I lost a lot of weight um you know I'm back to like my healthy good self and and it makes me happy and I think yeah. I can exude that to the world and that's how we change people's minds right uh the, the lead by example thing, I, I don't mean lead like I'm going to tell you what to do. I literally mean like, hey, I'm out there doing this. And if you think that looks cool and that lady looks happy and she looks balanced and, you know, it's like so that people can emulate that. And, yeah. and that's what I want to see. So, you know, if we're going to, uh, you know, tax Peter to pay for Paul, then OK, then you know, Paul's got to, you know, kind of step up to the plate too. You yeah. know, you can't just subsidize bad behavior and, and say that's okay. Uh, to me, it's not okay. Yeah. And I think this is a big thing that I've said a lot of times and especially as a libertarian, it's like, you can do whatever you want. I don't want the government involved. You can do whatever you want, but take responsibility for what you do. Like that's, right. you know, I'm not paying for you, like I said, I don't drive with a seatbelt on. Right. You know, if I crash my car, I'm not expecting someone else to pick up the tab for that either. You know, so. You should wear your seatbelt, young man. <laughs> whatever, you know. I do sometimes. I mean, I love that we don't have a law for that because that's the way it should be. I mean, I wear mine just because statistically it's it's a smarter thing to do. Yeah, sure. But, but, you know, something... Like, people will say, well, why do you fight so hard that we don't have a seatbelt law? And I'm like, because we don't realize the knock-on effect of stuff. In other states, police will use the fact that you're not driving with a seatbelt on as an excuse to pull you over. The yeah. second that happens, then this whole other door opens up. Yeah. Let's say, like, you had weed in your car. Or let's say, I don't know, your kid's not in a kid's seat. Or, you know, now suddenly, you know... You're, you're into like all these other areas. So let's just not even give them the excuse to start yeah. with with the myriad of laws that basically make us, everyone commits up to three felonies a day because yeah. we have so many laws. Yeah. Let's get rid of some of them. Yeah. That's definitely something I want to work on, too. I'm not that interested in, in introducing bills and that kind of stuff. I mean, I will where I think I can make a difference, but I want to really start to look at, can we repeal things? You know, can we sunset a lot of these laws that aren't really necessary? Yeah. Um, I'd love to see the program with the fourth graders. You know, they come to the, the legislature once a year and they're like, we want to introduce this new bill, you know, and it's usually cute. It's some kind of bird or some kind of, you know, new potato or yeah. <laughs> something. But I was like, why don't we teach those kids, bring us a bill to repeal yeah. and have them research that because there are a myriad of things we could just be getting rid of that, yeah. you know, aren't even. And in fact, I think Governor Sununu, like Sunset, over 2,000 regulations where it was just like, what is this, you know? And the cool thing is with AI and machine learning, mm -hmm. we're actually going to be able to train a machine to like run through, um, through let's say bills, right? Yeah. Because I mean, there's millions of words, right? Yeah. And maybe we could do that against a database of actual citations and we could see, oh, okay, one guy ever, under this bill. So do we really need it? No, let's X this out. And let's start to reduce some of those regulations and laws and stuff that really aren't necessary for a, a healthy functioning society. Yeah. 
as I said, in most cases, those bills were even only put up because one person made a mistake. Right. Like, someone did something so stupid that the public was like, oh, when do you take care of that? But it, it doesn't actually come up very often. Right. Right. And and I understand that's very much a human instinct. But I yeah. think as, as we evolve and as the culture in New Hampshire sort of goes back to what I think is at the heart of of sort of granite staters and granite state pride and all of that. Like it is a very live and let live culture here, Mm -hmm. or it used to be. I mean, I think that is changing because there seem to be a lot of angry people, (laughs) you know, who kind of want to move us into a very socialist direction. I mean, people are unabashedly running on a platform of income tax and sales tax. You know, it's coming up all the time and that should not be a discussion. Like that shouldn't even be on the table here. And it's not because I don't think everything the government can do, we can do. We could just do it better. (laughs) Yeah. You have, it's like, I don't even know how to explain it, but like, less regulation, less red tape, less cost, just across the board, everything's efficient. Better. Yeah, efficiency. That's yeah. probably the better word. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, the problem with the government is there is no, there's no market incentive and there's no market feedback loop. Yeah. So let's take the VA as an example. We all know, I mean, if you look at the history of, you know, veterans care, I mean, it's pretty dismal. Yeah. And, it, and it makes me mad because it's something that should could be so much better, right? But it can't really get better because all the incentives are wrong. You know, so so every time the government fails at something, we make that something bigger. Yeah. We create a new task force. Oh, these people are going to fix it after we couldn't fix it 50 years ago. That is a very clear indication that the government should probably not be doing that thing because yeah. they can't do it right. And so this this idea that, oh, you know, d- uh, democratic socialism and it's just all going to be like, you know, glitter and unicorns and, and, and uh, rainbows. It's like, no. It can't work. It has never worked, and we are not going to do it right. And for the person who is thinking right now, what about Norway or what about Denmark, Sweden? Let me tell you this. They don't have minimum wage laws there. They don't have forced unionization there. They have school choice across the board. Yes, they have universal um healthcare for which they pay almost half of what they earn just for that privilege. And they are all free market economies. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're actually in better shape than we are because right now what we have here is we have what I fondly refer to as capitalism because we have the cronyism and the capitalism and they've come together and we really have the worst of all worlds right now. And we saw that with Obamacare. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, guys, we got to We can do better. Yeah. Let's do better. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of times it's people, they, they start riling on businesses and look at the, like the, how bad capitalism is. Like, no, you made the government too goddamn strong. Right. And then businesses doing what businesses try to do to gain advantage. Right. Utilize that. And so, yeah, get rid of all of the craziness on the government side and businesses will not be able to do that. Right. (laughs) Because then you have an actual, and you know, I often think about, can you imagine like all the news resources that are focused on government, right? So like on what the president's saying today and, you know, diplomacy and like all that stuff. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling, but imagine we focus those kinds of eyeballs and resources on businesses. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so we're in a world where the balance is restored and businesses, you know, a free market can actually function. Then you do want part of your sort of, uh, in air quotes, policing, right? You want people to have information. And so that one of the ways you do that is the media can be like, these guys are shady, like, you know, or these people are polluting their the, the water around their factory or whatever. But you would have more focus on those things and you would have the checks and balances. But because we have this distortion where, you know, America has decided, yeah, we want, like, socialist government 
I mean, how did that even happen? Like, I just, sometimes I just scratch my head. A lot of planning it's, and a lot of subversion at a very high level. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's pretty scary. I mean, and it is generally because of, I believe, the education system, right? Once, once the education system was, the control was ceded to statists, that's really where uh, a lot of the problem started. And part of that problem is there are people who think they know things who don't know and who don't haven't been taught the critical skill of the the skills to think critically and that's a problem so one of my big issues as well is school choice i yeah. think the money should follow the child yeah. i think that you know if a kid blossoms in a parochial school let them you know and the counter side will say you're against public schools and i'm like i'm not you know what if you're doing a great job have at it but let's let the checks and balances of a market tell us if you're actually doing a good job and you know we know spending has gone up but if you look across the board at actual performance of students even in new hampshire where it went from i believe about eight thousand to sixteen thousand in like a decade The performance of the students hasn't changed. So this this idea of if we just give them more money, they'll 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 get better, is not the problem. The problem is, um, are we building a desire to learn? Do we want to actually have people be educated with the roundness of what that means, or do we just want you know good little lemmings? coming out of high school. And I I don't want good little lemmings. I want people to strive and to thrive and and to live a full life. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Any other big, big market points there? No, I mean, you know, we understand that the market, uh, you know, if we if we free the market, I'd like to see some uh, deregulation in in occupational licensing. New Hampshire actually doesn't do great. On on that, even compared to other states, even Vermont <laughs> is better than New Hampshire. Yeah. And so, um, you know, do you do you know? So I'd maybe see some liberalization there. Um, I'd like to look at criminal justice reform. I'm a big proponent of uh, government transparency and accountability. Yeah. I serve on Right to Know New Hampshire, um, and. We there there's a growing negative trend in New Hampshire towards non-disclosure. Everything's yeah. being pushed into non-public meetings. Uh, even newspapers, when they try and get information, are getting um, stopped. There was a case recently with the union leader and some other newspapers that wanted to get the Lori's list. And yeah, so this is a are. list, um, you know, that basically prosecutors, state prosecutors, have to give to defense attorneys to say, these co- this police officer who's about to testify has uh, a previous record of excessive force, testa lying, lying under oath, um, and, you know, uh, changing records or that kind of stuff. And, I mean, those are pretty egregious things, yeah, right? Like, why are they still working? Well, I mean, we could start there, <laughs> but, like, I'm at the, can we at least just find out who they are yeah. stage, right? So the union leader actually, to their credit, filed a 91A. Um, they got the list back from the AG's office. There were 171 names on it. Every single one of them was blacked out. Yeah. So they redacted all the information? I mean, I I actually (laughs) asked the editor at the time, I was like, publish that in the Sunday newspaper so that people can understand. Like, you know, a picture is worth a million words, right? And it's like, I think if, if the average voter saw that... That, I mean, that to me is just a giant finger yeah. at us as, as you know, residents of New Hampshire to say, well, we don't, we don't really care, you know, and, and it's shocking to me. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I want to fix some of that stuff, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's literally the government telling you, well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Too bad. You know, and so um, I guess sort of in in conclusion, I don't want to forget about the constitutional amendments. Um, So uh, for your listeners back home, there are two questions that are going to appear on the ballot this 
fall on November 6th. And um, the first one is question one has to do with taxpayer standing. Um, let me start with there are two questions and I'm going to vote yes on both of them. And I highly recommend other uh, people do as well. These were both bipartisan um, Question one that has to do with taxpayer standing, that is basically there were some court shenanigans that took um, the right of a taxpayer to sue if, you know, if, if your district is busting the tax cap or like what happened uh, in Dumbarton and Goffstown where, you know, the school was like, oh, or the, the budget, they realized, oh, we had this extra money. And so instead yeah. of giving it back to you, we're just going to like keep it for ourselves. And, um, and people couldn't actually like sue to be like, no, you can't do that. Now that was figured out. But basically, this will allow taxpayers to once again sue in the event that there's um, some kind of shenanigans by the state. Um, it was bipartisan. It passed by 309 to 9 or 308 to 8 uh, in the House. It passed the Senate 22 to 2. My opponent, Lou D'Alessandro, voted against it. Hmm. I think that is telling. The second question has to do with privacy, and it's a one sentence that's really easily understandable that just basically says we have privacy with regard to our phones, you know, like anything that you need to get a warrant for, you still need to get a warrant for. You can't just like come and just be like, yeah, we're just going to like take your stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so it basically says that we are, uh, we can live free from government intrusion. Once again, bipartisan, once again, my opponent voted against it. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. I wonder if there's any reason for that. No, I, maybe he didn't even know what button he was pressing. <laughs> I I mean, I don't uh, know. He's, you know, he's elderly and he, he, who knows? But, yeah. you know, it's mm. it's a good talking point for me because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I, I will just encourage people to, you know, check me out. Uh, once again, Carla4NHSenate.com. I'm active on social media. Um, I think one of the good things is like me or hate me, you know, some people hate me. I, I, I don't think hate's a really good emotion, you know, so get over it. But um, I'm principled, so nothing is ever going to surprise you. You know, it was funny. I was in a meeting and um, I'd filled out a bunch of these candidate surveys and, and, and a sitting senator said to me, oh, no, you shouldn't do that, you know, and I was like, well, one, that would have been useful to tell me two months ago. But and then she said, um, because, you know, now you're going to have to like, do you remember what you said or something? And I was like, well, that's not how I operate. I was yeah. like, I know what I said because I have a, a basis from which I'm operating. And yeah. another candidate survey place, you know, contacted me and they were like, we didn't get your one for 2018. So we put up your one for 2016. And I was like, cool, because my positions are the same, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I have principles. So you don't flip flop every, yeah. every new issue, right? <laughs> so um, also, if people want to speak to me personally, you can always give me a call at 865-7140 if you have specific questions about some of my positions. And then um, I'll just sort of conclude with, you know, I, I, I promise to serve with integrity, character and compassion. And I ask for your vote on November 6th. Pretty good. Thank you for joining me. It's been fun. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. That is it for today. So everyone be good and go vote.